0: Hello friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We are picking back up on our Walk This Way series, which is a study on the book of James. Leading us in today's teaching is our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott. And just a quick reminder that you can get all of the messages in this series on our website, on the Christ Church app, as well as on our YouTube channel. Now, here is Pastor Jared with today's message. Thank you for listening. Amen. Well, yeah, they can clap for that. It was great. That, you know, that video, the reason we did that is we are on this uh, series, Walk This Way, and we, we took a break last week for Father's Day, and so we thought wouldn't it would not be great to kind of catch up to where we were as we come to this uh, passage in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Let me pray for us as we begin. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you, you can speak to us through the music this morning, Father. That we can sing your praises. Lord we give you praise for what you're doing in our own life. And Lord thank you for the fact that that you not only died for us, Lord, but you give us give us a resource in your word of how to live out this life. It's not easy. Lord, it's not easy when we look at the world around us, our family, our friends, our schools, where we are in life, our culture to to walk this way, to walk a certain way, Lord, but thank you. For the book of James, thank you for telling us how to live this out. For those that believe in you, Lord, I pray that you empower us this morning as we hear your word. It's a tough passage, Lord. So I pray that you speak through me. pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart, and that you impress upon us this message. Lord, thank you. I pray that we aren't just hearers of the word, as it says in James, but we're doers of it as well. And I ask all this in your name. Amen. Well, it is wonderful to be here. My name is Jared Ott. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the senior pastor. It's wonderful to be able to continue on in this series, Walk This Way. You know, if you were here with us back in the, the uh, winter months, uh, January, February, we talked about, you know, that you may believe. We're talking about who, who Jesus was. Now we say, okay, those of us that believe we, we walk a certain way, how do we live out this life? And we come to this, this passage in James. In fact, Jamie uh, leaned over to me this morning and said, boy, you got a tough one this morning. It's like, yep, I do. Because it's faith that works. What does that look like? What does that look like when we have faith and deeds? How does that go together? Well, I was in uh, college. I went to Geneva. And uh, we had a class. It was evangelism explosion class. And there was the author of that is D. James Kennedy. And writes this about faith and works. He says, there's an old boatman. And the word faith was on one oar of his boat. And works on the other. One day a young man asked the reason for this. And in answer, he slipped the oar with faith into the water and rowed, and the boat, of course, went, made a very tight circle. And then returning to the the dock, the boatman then said, now let's try works, and he put the works oar in the water and, and tried to go, and the same thing happened. Again, it went in circles, and the boatman came back to the wharf. He said to the young man, you see, to make a passage across the lake, one needs both oars working simultaneously in order to keep the boat going straight and narrow. If one doesn't have the use of both oars, he makes no progress either across the lake or as a Christian. It's a tough passage, because we realize it's Faith How does that evidence what evidence there are you know if you have faith it 's like uh, it 's like a pond you throw a rock into a pond there 's going to have ripples right you 're going to have ripples if there 's no ripples there 's no evidence anybody threw anything into the lake you know and unfortunately there 's Many people who will go around claiming that they know Jesus, they have a faith in Jesus, there's celebrities will say, I have a faith in Jesus, or people will say, I have a faith in Jesus, but you look at them and go, how in the world? You are not living anything like the scripture says. A lot of people end up being kind of like a fake or a fraud, they're trying to be something they're not. In fact, there was a story of a zoo that was noted for their great collection of different animals, and one day the gorilla died, and so to keep up the appearance of a full range of animals, a zookeeper tried to hire a man to wear a gorilla suit to fill in for the dead animal. It was his first day in the job, and the man didn't know how to act like a gorilla very well. As he tried to move convincingly, he, he got too close to the wall to, of the enclosure and fell into the lion exhibit. So he began to scream and wail, convinced his life was over, until the lion spoke up and said, Be quiet, you're going to get us both fired. (laughs) Sometimes we try to pretend things that we're not. We try to act a certain way, or we try to say something, and it really, it doesn't go very far. This man did not know how to be a gorilla, but he tried to say, Hey, I'm a gorilla. Some of us will say, Hey, listen, I have faith in Jesus, but what evidence is there? What evidence is there? And this is what James is talking about. This is what James is talking about. James isn't saying that that you have to have faith. You have to have works in order to be saved. That's not what we're saying. We know from Ephesians 2, it's by grace that we're saved by faith, not of works. We know that. What James is saying here is that that if you have have faith, you're not doing anything. It's kind of like a, a false faith. It's a dead faith. It's a useless faith. And that's where he goes, a faith that doesn't work. And because of that, it's marked with a shallow confession, a shallow compassion, and a shallow conviction. So if you have your, your Bibles or service sheets, encourage you to turn there, James 2. Marks of an unproductive faith. What does an unproductive faith actually look like? You know, some of us will say, well, I have faith. I don't know, is it productive or not? What, is, what does an unproductive faith look like? Well, first off, there's a shallow confession. There's a shallow confession. Look at verse 2, verse 14. Excuse me. Verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can faith save them? Can faith save them? You see, we understand that it's... James isn't talking about works for salvation. What he's talking about is easy believerism that's the term i coined i don't even know if it's an actual word but i'm going to use it easy believerism in other words saying hey i have faith but i'm not going to actually follow anything about what the what the what the gospel says about what the lord commands of me it's a shallow confession you see when true salvation happens there is a regeneration the lord works deep inside and there's longings to to Live a certain way. A longing to get rid of the sin in our life. There's longings to serve the Lord. Now of course there's temptation. We've talked about that. Pastor Ed was here talking about temptations. Talk about trials that we go through. But we have a longing to follow the Lord. We have a longing to serve Him. We have a longing to live a certain way. And... One of the things that we want to see here at the church is, i we said, I, I don't want our church to be a mile wide and an inch deep. In other words, we have this faith and we say we have faith, but we're not really doing anything. It's a shallow confession. So I want to encourage you make sure that you're involved in small groups. Make sure you're involved in our Bible studies. We have Bible studies going on all the time here at the church. Pastor Jamie just talked about a Wednesday night women's Bible study. I know there's a Friday morning. There's some studies going on on Sunday mornings as well, all, all the time. We want to encourage you to get involved so you don't have that shallow confession as you as you go through life saying, "Well, hey, I have faith, but uh, I'm not really growing." We want you to be growing. Because as we grow, as we as we learn what the Lord wants from our own life, then we're broke we are, we are breaking free from those bondage of sins that we have. Some of us are into addiction, some of us are, are into all kinds of stuff, attitudes and behaviors. You go, well, "How do you how do you resolve brokenness in our own life? It's growing closer to the Lord." And the only way you're going to be able to do that is to, to dive deeper into his word, deeper into small groups, deeper into um, Christian education that we have here. A shallow confession. The second mark of, a, of an unproductive faith is this. It's a shallow compassion. A shallow compassion. Look at the next few verses. Verses 15 through 17. It says, suppose a brother or sister is without food and clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about it, their physical needs, what good is it? What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by actions. It is dead. You know, a few weeks back, uh, Pastor Doug, our high school pastor, Pastor Robbie, our middle school pastor, asked if I wanted to go to a concert. It was not a red letter hymn concert. Sorry, Brad. We, uh, but they asked if we could go to, a, a, if I wanted to go to a concert. I had some tickets. And um, my wife, Deb, and I said, sure, we'd love, we'd love to go. And uh, I, I'm not a concert goer, but I was, <laughs> I was amazed. Deb and I were, were laughing the whole time because there were people there. Uh, we loved to watch the people instead of the actual band because the people were just like in tears over this band just crying their eyes out and when music would happen, a certain song, they would just go nuts and so instead of taking pictures of the band, Deb and I started taking pictures of like all the people all the people like dancing and going crazy and bawling their eyes out and screaming and hollering and I thought man that is crazy there are people here in tears over a certain band or a certain song but they, they don't care anything about the world around them they aren't moved to tears at all when they see a need around them How many of us watch movies or TV shows and are bawling our eyes out over over things that we see that aren't even real? Aren't even real. Bawling our eyes out. But when we look at the world around us, it doesn't phase us at all. When we look at the needs around us, it doesn't do anything for us. It doesn't phase us. It doesn't make us feel or act a certain way. That's a shallow compassion. Where we're so emotionally invested in things that that are trivial, that aren't even real. I know there's a lot of TV shows out that people are watching uh, that that are like a fake drama, and they're just crying. And I thought, man, if we had that same compassion with the needs around us, shallow compassion. You know, in Acts 2, great thing about Acts is These new Christians, when they got together, they spontaneously started selling their possessions and sharing with everybody in need. We did a series on Acts a a number of years ago, and one of the things that they did was they they understood the compassion, the needs around them, and so they gathered up all their resources and just started handing it out. I would love to be a church that that has such compassion for other people that we can help them in times of need. How's your faith? Do you have a shallow confession, shallow compassion? And not only that, there's a There's a shallow conviction, a shallow conviction. Look at verse uh, 18. It says, but some of you will say you have faith, I have deeds, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you have evidence that faith without deeds is useless? It's a shallow conviction. I've used this before and say, you know, people will say, you know, I know who the Lord is. Well, so do the demons. That's what James is saying. So the demons, they're not doing anything about it. They just know who he is. It's a head knowledge. It doesn't go to a heart knowledge. There's a shallow conviction. Shallow conviction. You know, if you remember the story of Matthew, it's not going to be on the screens, in Matthew 8, there were some demon-possessed people that come up to Jesus. And these demons actually recognized who Jesus was. Because they say in Matthew 8, 29, it says, What do you want with us, Son of God? These demons shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? So these demons knew who Jesus was. And so they saw uh, pigs in the distance, and they said, the demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. So Jesus drove these demons into the herd of pigs, and they all went over the cliff. I always wondered about the owner of the pigs. Like, really? That's all, Everything that I own now just went over the cliff. Thank you for that. But see, the demons knew who Jesus was. And that, I've read this passage many times, and that's really convicted me a lot, because we could have a lot of of talk saying, you know, we know who Jesus was. is, we have a faith but what's scary is that demons know who Jesus is Satan knows who Jesus is too but they're not doing anything about it. it's a shallow conviction a shallow conviction so maybe some of you this morning, you say, well man, I, I feel in that, Jared, I, I feel like maybe I do have a shallow confession or conviction or compassion what do I do about it? what do I do about it? You start by saying, you know what? I need to recommit. I need to recommit my life to him who has forgiven me. I believe in Jesus. I want to follow him. And it starts today by saying, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop fooling around with my life. I'm going to actually put my, put my faith into action. I'm actually going to do something about it. going to do something about it. You know, it's really hard to develop a compassion for people, isn't it? You know, one of the things that I've learned through life is you can say all day that you need to develop a pe- compassion for people, but one of the things that prompts us to make have a productive faith is understanding how much that we've been forgiven. How much that Jesus loves us. You know, there was a passage in Luke where Jesus tells the story of a money lender who, who lends out 500 denarii to one person and 50 to another and then forgives both debts and Simon asks well, Jesus asked Simon well, who, who do you think who, who do you think uh, loves more now because of that who do you think has, realizes the bigger need of forgiveness and Simon said the person with a bigger debt the person that has been forgiven much loves much and so if we take a step back in our own life and go, you know what, Jesus, I realize how dead I was in sin, how much I desperately needed you. I really understand that. Those that have been forgiven much, love much. Those that have been forgiven little, it says in Luke 7, 47, have, been for, have little to love. Those who have been forgiven little, love little. Do you understand how much Jesus loves you? How much that he died for you on the cross? Do you have that commitment? How's your faith? How's your faith? When people look at you, will they say, man, they got a a really productive faith. They're living it out. You know, when I was in uh, high school, I went to a private uh, school in the other side of Pennsylvania, and uh, I was on a soccer team. And I was the captain of the soccer team, and I remember I played center defense there, and uh, we had a good team, good team our senior year, and... I remember we actually made it to the championship game. And I remember in the first half, I was playing defense, I was the captain, I was the center, I was in the back, and I totally let the guy that I was trying to guard go right by me. Just right by me. Blew right by me and scored a goal. Okay? So we're down one nothing. I remember halftime, I remember this so clearly, because our coach was eh, a little abrasive, and uh, as most many coaches are, many good coaches are. And he kind of got in my face. And one thing he said to me, I always remember, it was halftime, we're inside, and he says, are you a captain, senior, and center defender? Are all of those true? I said, yes, sir. Then I remember what he said, then act like it. Then act like it. You know, I love to say that we went on to win the game, but we ended up losing 1-0. So maybe he should have said it to the forwards. Uh, But... um, I, at least I did my job the rest of the time. Um, but one of the things I want to, I, I, I so want to say often to people who say, you know, I have a faith. I'm a, I believe in Jesus. I have a faith. I'm trying to set a good example. I almost want to say, then you need to act like it. I almost want to get in people's face and say, are you a Christian? Are you a church gover? Do you say you have deep faith? Yes, then act like it. Then act like it. Because we often have this thing where we claim that we have Jesus, but we don't act like it. And people will look at us and go, man, they say they love Jesus, but they're not really following him. So what are the marks of a productive faith? What does it look like to have a productive faith? What does it look like in day-to-day life, when we go out through life? What does it look like when we say, hey, faith that works, what does that look like? And I can think of no greater passage than Matthew 9. Matthew 9, starting verse 36. It says, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he, Jesus, had compassion on them because they were... They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in the harvest field. So what does it look like to have a a, a productive faith? First off, we have to recognize there is a need. We have to recognize there is a need. A recognition of the need. Matthew 9, 36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. That was the recognition of the need. I'm sure, uh, maybe, maybe you haven't, but I, there was a story of um, a guy named Mike and Kyle. And true story. And Mike was, uh, they were in middle school at the time, or going into middle school. And Mike was walking home from school. And he looked across the street and recognized another boy from his class. He had glasses, he was kind of skinny, a little scrawny, and he was carrying a ton of books and all of a sudden, some kids ran up and pushed him and knocked his glasses off and his books all over the ground. So when he saw this, Mike went over to him, noticed that he was, had tears in his eyes. Mike got his glasses for him, helped him pick up all these books, and then walked him home. He found out the boy's name was Kyle and that they came from the same school. Since then, they, that time, they lived close to each other. They befriended each other. Mike invited him to play football with his friends. The next day, they spent the whole weekend together, became best friends. Later, Mike and Kyle, Mike invited Kyle to church, told him about Christ, and Kyle asked to be the Lord of his life, based on one small act of someone who recognized a need. You may say, oh, well, that's great. That's a great middle school story for us, Jared. Uh, How do we apply it to our own life? You want to recognize a need. We place needs all the time in this service sheet. All the different things going on here in our church. We are desperate for volunteers in our children's ministry, our youth ministry, our greeters' ministry, our ushers' ministry. All kinds of stuff. There are needs all over the place. That's why we as a church will kind of put those things out for you to say, hey, listen, we we have some needs here. There's people that uh, are really, really, ministries that are really going well that really need some volunteers. Could you step up? Do you recognize the need? This is how we first recognize that there's a need. We have to be conscious of that. Conscious of that fact of saying, hey, listen, it's not about me. It's how I can I use my gifts. So first, we have to recognize the need. Secondly, we have to have a reaction to the need. In Matthew 9, 36, Jesus had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What if Jesus saw all these people that were throughout his life that were constantly in need and just went, hmm, Okay and just went on his way? What if he would see the blind man or the, the woman at the well that we went through or, or the person who had, Zacchaeus, who had questions at night and said, hey, listen, I'm just too busy. What if he just, he saw the need but did nothing about it? He'd go, that's crazy. It'd be crazy for Jesus to do that. It's not so crazy for us to do that too when we go through life recognizing that there's a need out there and go, hmm, I'm just too busy. I can't do it because I have other things I, I need to do. Yes, I see the need, but the question is, is, do you react to the need? A reaction to the need. So not only a recognition, a reaction, but there was a response as well. Verse 37 of Matthew 9 says, Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Now leave that verse up for a second because I know, I know many of you have heard that verse before or are familiar with it. Or maybe this is the first time you think, okay, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. The harvest must be the corn crops. We think of crops and we think of the harvest to, to go out there and, and pick the corn and the crops. But as you study the word harvest throughout the scripture, one of the things that you find out is the harvest is actually referred to as God's judgment. We see that in Isaiah 17. We see it in Joel 3. We see it in Matthew 13. Let both grow together until the harvest. Until that time, I will tell the harvesters, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles and burn them. In Joel 3, it says the sickle, swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe. And Isaiah 17 says, bring the buds yet to the harvest for nothing in that day of disease and incurable pain. The harvest is God's final judgment. So you say, well, what's, what's the point of that? The point is, is that when we see the need, we need to look at the people around us and go, you know what, these people may not know Christ. They may not be with him in forever in heaven when they die. That's the harvest. We're the workers. They're the harvest field. We need to go out and minister to them because we don't know if they know the Lord or not. And we need to use our abilities, our gifts, our, the things that God's given us to go out and minister to them. Do you have a response to the need? One of, the things, one of the fascinating things about that, that scripture in Matthew 8, you know, he's telling the disciples in Matthew 8, he says, he says to them, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in the harvest field. And one of the things that you realize in Matthew 10, the disciples are the ones that go out. Basically, they're the answer to their own prayers. You know, oftentimes we'll say, hey, listen, I'll pray for that need. Or I'll pray that God brings someone to help uh, that need, don't we? We'll say, uh, well, God, that person's really in need, or that person really needs minister to, or that real person doesn't know the Lord. I'm going to pray that somebody brings them to the Lord. Somebody tells them about the gospel of Jesus, don't we? It's an easy way out for us to do that, isn't it? And the disciples, one of the things they realize is that they were the answer to their own prayers. Some, I ask you, Is you, your, your, your places in your, in your workplaces, maybe your schools, maybe you're out with your family, and you say, boy, there's a need here. I really want to show my faith. Maybe God's put you in that position to do that. We, uh, a few weeks ago, we, we unrolled a new thing. It was called Your Orders on Me cards. I don't know if you've seen these. They're little white cards that we pass out to the entire congregation said, your order's on me, and it says Christ Church at Grow Farm, and the idea was, is that maybe you want to bless somebody today, maybe you don't know what somebody's going through, the, the pain that they're going on in their own life, and so you could, you could pay for their order, maybe through a drive-thru or at a restaurant. I got an email last week, I said, dear pastor, I, and I probably could have brought it with me, but it was kind of long, I said, dear pastor, I just want to let you know that, that I saw the your order's on me card today, I said, you don't know how much that's blessed me. She went on to say that she had just lost her job. She didn't have any money, but she was taking her son out for a dinner because they hadn't been out in dinner for a while. And she actually uh, had forgotten her credit card, too. So she went out to the car thinking that maybe the credit card was in the car. She was panicked. She was frustrated. She came back in, and the server said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Your order's on me. And on the back it said, Christ Church of Grow Farms. She goes, you don't know how much that's blessed me. She goes, I'm going to come to your church sometime because of that. Because I was so down and God answered my prayer. How powerful is that? Simple act. An example of a productive faith. A response to the need. So then they give examples. James goes into examples. He talks about Rahab. You know, it says, it says in 25, in the same way, even, not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteousness for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in different directions. The body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And I love the example of Rahab because you look at Rahab the prostitute, you go, man, she lived a really tough life. She really had a tough past, but boy, did she continue to do what the Lord wanted her to do. Some of us go through life saying, you know what, because of my past, I better not. I better not... Because what if they find out about my past? What if I share the love of Jesus with somebody? What if I get involved in a ministry? What if they find out about my past? Rahab, look at Rahab. A prostitute saying, you know what? It's, I'm not going to let my past stop me from doing what God wants me to do. Then there's Abraham. The passage of Abraham. Look at verse 21. says, wasn't our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered to son Isaac on the altar? He sees that his faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete. You know, I love this because Abraham showed faith. This is for you parents. Last week we talked about Father's Day. If I was preaching on Father's Day, I would have brought in this passage right here about Abraham. Because how great of an example is Abraham to his own son? How great is that example that Abraham took his son, God said, take your son, you're going to sacrifice your son on Mount Moriah. So Abraham and some servants go to Mount Moriah... And then he tells the servants, he says, wait here at the base, we'll be back. And it says that that Isaac carried the load up the mountain. His own load that he was going to, uh, the the load of wood that he was going to uh, place underneath him. The question was, is how old was Isaac when Abraham was going to sacrifice him? Some people think, people often think that Isaac was like a young baby. But as you look at scriptures, as you look at uh, theologian commentaries, they're actually thinking that Isaac was much older. Some people say he was in his teens. Some people had put Isaac at the age of 25 because of how old Sarah was when she died, of the fact that the word lad means young man, the fact that he carried all that wood up Mount Moriah. You say, well, what's the point? Abraham was over 100 when he had Isaac. The point is, is that Abraham's faith and actions must have been so powerful that inspired Isaac to willingly get up on that altar himself. Because if you're in your teens, you know you're going to have to get up there himself. If Abraham's 100, 120, 125, how could he actually pick up Isaac and put him on the altar? Abraham's faith was so strong that his example pushed Isaac to get up on the altar. Parents, When your kids see you, are they going to, as they get older, go, man, parents had a lot of faith. Isaac must have known God was going to provide something because Abraham said, we're going to come back. He's going to provide the sacrifice. Parents, do you provide that example to your own children? As you go older, will they say, man, mom and dad, they, they didn't have much, but sure, they had a lot of faith. And they didn't just talk the talk, they actually walked the walked. Do they look at you and say, man, their their faith is really productive. Their faith is really strong. It's not shallow. It's really deep. You know, as we close our service here, band's gonna come up. I I leave you with those same questions. What about you? When you look at your own life, when you look at the fact that we can claim Jesus, Well, people look at you and say, man, they got a deep faith. Well, they say, hey, that faith's pretty shallow. Well, they say, boy, they're really not just talking the talk, they are walking the walk. They are really walking this way. They are using their gifts, they're using their abilities, they see the needs around them. They they have a response to the need, then they react to the need as well. Do people see your faith that strong? Do you have a faith that works? You know, the story of Mike and Kyle didn't end when uh, Kyle gave his life to Christ. In fact, you fast forward eight years, and it's high school graduation. True story. Kyle, the kid who was pushed over, scrawny kid with all the books, is now the valedictorian of the class. He looks nervous because he has to give a speech to his entire class mike comes around and slaps him in the back and says you'll do great kyle begins a speech and to mike's astonishment he begins talking about friends that he made and how how much of an impact they made on his life he tells the story of how mike and kyle met eight years ago and how mike befriended kyle when he was all by himself in a time of need and despair that he just didn't look by that he actually responded to the need Kyle went on to say the day that he had the the reason that he had all the books in his hand was because he cleared out his locker that day because he didn't want to leave that task to his mom. You see Kyle had planned to commit suicide as soon as he got home that day. But instead he met someone who saw a need, invited him to play, and that invitation made all the difference in the world. You don't know what'll happen by responding to the needs around you. We don't know if that person's having a good day or a bad day. We don't know. But we're not, we're just called to be obedient, aren't we? We're called to respond to the need, to a faith that, that looks like it works, faith that isn't just shallow in conviction, shallow in compassion, a faith that's strong. Because when you throw a pebble, it's going to cause ripples. I hope we can cause a lot of ripples around our community here. I hope that's for the same for you. A faith that works. Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the fact that you not only called us to be faithful, but you called us to be obedient. So Lord, I pray that we can recognize the needs around us. I pray that you prompt us to get involved in ministries or get involved with sharing your word with other people. We thank you for the team that's going out this, this summer. Philadelphia even on Monday are really showing that it's not just faith, it's it's works as well. They're going to go out and minister to people around them share the gospel with people in need Lord we thank you for them. I pray the same for us as we go into our communities, our homes as we come into the church on Sundays Lord that it's not just about us on Sunday mornings it's all about you and what you've done for us so thank you. Lord I pray that you help us respond to this that we walk out of here not just hearers of the word but we'll be doers of it as well and I ask all this in the name that is above every other name Your name. Amen.